Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. Hi, I'm Christian Sager. And before we get into the topic today, I just want to remind everyone that you can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on, on Tumblr. And on Tumblr. We are uh, Blow the Mind on, I think, all of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you just do a search for Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you will find us. It'll definitely pop up. And they can also email us questions and comments about the episode where? Blow the Mind at HowStuffWorks.com. And, of course, the mothership is StuffToBlowYourMind.com. Yeah, definitely make sure that you go to that site so that you can see more of the videos and blog posts and galleries and other content that we produce that are, go beyond the podcast. Yeah, we will beam the knowledge directly. Directly into your body, in the same way that uh, that one might uh, have uh, the wounds of Christ lasered into their body. Yeah, I believe that the way that it works is that a, an angel with five wings flies over you and fires lasers from the wings right into the spots the wounds if, go. If the paintings uh, are any indication, this seems to be the process mm-hmm. involved. So, if you couldn't guess, we are going to talk about. Stigmata today. Yes, yes, stigmata, uh, a topic I've uh, been wanting to cover here uh, for some time, and uh, and it's it's indeed a very, a very very deep topic. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of there's history, there's science, there's uh, religion, myth, uh, uh, iconography. There are mm-hmm. a lot of ins, psychology. Lots of outs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, psychology, and we certainly can't do every corner of the story justice, even in a two part. 
Yeah, I, I think that it's important to recognize up front that that we are not uh, experts in, uh, uh, certainly not experts in Catholic history, mm-hmm. which is what, a lot of what we're going to talk about in the first episode is about St. Francis, who is, of course, beatified by the Catholic Church and one of the best-known stigmatics in history. Right. Uh, he's essentially the patient zero for stigmata. Yeah. And, uh, and, and he's an interesting figure from, yeah, from uh, a historical standpoint, but also from a biological standpoint, as we'll get into, as uh, as modern day historians look back at the records and the accounts and try to figure out what might have been going on with his body uh, from a medical standpoint. Yeah, he lived a, a really interesting life, and uh, you know we can go through that sort of chronologically today. But I think it would probably help if we start off by just explaining stigmata as a concept. Uh, and and what it is, where the idea of it came from, and 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 how it resonates with culture today. Indeed, yeah. So to start off, the word itself, stigmata, comes from the Greek stigma, uh, and this refers to the brand uh, with which slaves and criminals in ancient Greece and Rome were marked. Hence, our verb uh, stigmatize to mark as with a brand of disgrace. Yeah. So if you're uh, if you are st- what, how does that work in terms of um, stigma, uh, st- stigmatization of the eye? Is that there's a mark on your actual eye? Ah, you know, I don't know about. I wonder. That. I wonder what the connection is there, but I bet it's got to be something like that, given, yeah. given the s- synonym with markings. I know that if you are suffering the the Catholic stigmata, um, mm-hmm. your eye doctor will probably be able to do nothing. Yeah, for you. they're useless in that <laughs> sense. <laughs> they uh, can't even stop the bleeding. It's true. It's true. So the Catholic stigmata, uh, which uh, a number of you have probably at least absorbed uh, through art or pop culture, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about the physical manifestation of the wounds of Jesus Christ crucified. Yeah, specifically the uh, two wounds in the hand. They're usually found in the palm, Mm -hmm. which is important. We'll come back to that later. There's two wounds in the feet as Mm -hmm. well. These are from the nails that were hammered through Christ's hands and feet. And then there's a fifth wound that a lot of people don't recognize, which is uh, on his side. I don't know if it was on his right or left side, but he was uh, lanced or speared uh, by, I, I believe, a Roman soldier as he was carrying the cross. Mm -hmm. I believe it's the right side, at least in... uh in various paintings. Okay. But okay. I'm, not, I'm not sure of it, if there's a definite right versus left, uh, you know, canonized yeah. uh, theory there. So beyond the, the horrific nature of being crucified, hanging from a cross, mm-hmm. bleeding from those wounds, he also had a pretty massive wound in his side, according to, to the Bible and other stories, uh, that that was bleeding and would have killed them anyways, right. presumably. And then there are a number of sort of add-on stigmata wounds you can throw in there that oh, sometimes right. pop up, like uh, the uh, lacerations on the back from uh, being scourged. Yeah, uh, crown of thorns. Crown of thorns. Uh, sometimes ble- uh, bleeding uh, eyes are thrown in as well as kind of... Uh, that's more of a Garden of Gethsemane kind of a thing. Oof, that would be, on top of everything else, that would be rough. Yeah, I mean, they really the laid into the man, so um, yeah. you know, there's a lot to choose from. But certainly the the uh, the big five, the five wounds, those are the ones that typically yeah. get around. And in order to be actually recognized, I believe, by the church, too, it, ha- it has to be those five wounds, right? Yes. Okay. Now, I do want to point out that uh, stigmata, uh, it, at least as we're discussing it here, it's not necessarily uh, a purely Christian phenomenon. Um, according to Pamela Ray Heath, uh, MD, 
in her uh, work, uh, Mind Matter Interaction, or a View of Historical Reports, Theories, and Research. She says there are few accounts of stigmata among Muslims and Hindus. Uh, with Muslims, the alleged stigmata resemble the battle wounds of the prophet. Uh, and uh, I personally read accounts of uh, 20th, 21st century Indian thinker, philosopher, U.G. Krishnamutri, uh, undergoing, supposedly undergoing physical transformations, the swelling, swellings around the chakras and various uh, discolorations that match up with Hindu iconography. Yeah, so I think it's important to acknowledge that at the top because as we're going to find throughout the discussion today, there are multiple possible uh, origins for stigmata. And one could potentially be Mm self-mutilation, which might explain why in different religions they're at different points of the body. Another could potentially be psychosomatic, Mm -hmm. which would also explain that if you were hyperfixated in your mind on specific points of your body, then there's a possibility that lesions could appear. Well, it hasn't been proven or not, but there's there's evidence that that might be the case in some of these stigmatic cases. And then, of course, lasers from an angel. Right. That's the other one. Which <laughs> I, I believe that uh, most of the research refers to as uh, deific intervention. Yes. <laughs> and, this, you know, we won't spend a lot of time on that one, but it is interesting to sort of uh, think about it. As non-theologians, uh, you know, why, why, how that would work with the metaphysics. Like, the best I could think of is that it's sort of like you have... Um, you have the, uh, the 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 birth and death of Christ is kind of a patch that's mm-hmm. applied to mm. the existing reality. So reality comes out like a game comes out, and there's some problems with it. And God says, oh, "I really I've got to put out a, a big patch to fix fix this, right? Save humanity." But before I get into that, I mean, I, I guess we should obviously just do a quick run through of how uh, crucifixion and Jesus fit, factors into the Christian and particularly the Catholic worldview. So to summarize, you have the basic notion here that God takes human form in the guise of Jesus. He's tortured, killed on a uh, Roman crucifix for the ideas that he spread. And it's through this execution and resurrection of God incarnate that humanity is redeemed. So God suffers bodily death so that humans might know bodily immortality. Yeah, and and I think that that's important to consider when we're talking about Later stigmatics who think of themselves as also suffering mm-hmm. for the sins of mankind. Right. Um, and I, I think that I have a, a little bit of a logic problem with connecting the dots there for the stigmatics. I yeah. get, I get, uh, the Christian origin story and, uh, believe it or not, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I grew up, uh, going to church, reading the Bible a lot and, um, I, have somewhat of an affinity for those stories. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself an atheist per se, but I, w- here's how I feel about the whole stigmata okay. thing. I don't necessarily believe that it's deific intervention mm-hmm. going on here, but I, w- I think I believe that the peop- most of the people who are uh, affected by stigmata believe it themselves. I believe that they believe. Yeah, there's there's definitely some some fakery in there at times with some of the stigmatic. Oh yeah, but. there's cases that we'll, we'll come across mm-hmm. where people uh, were called out on it, and it was discovered that they were, you know, it was it was self mutilation. Yeah. Now, I mean, I like to look at it from 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 different vantage points, and of course, we invite uh, listeners to do that as well. But uh, but when I try and put myself in the mind uh, of the of the you know, really devout believer uh, and trying to think, well, how would this work? Uh, 
in, in the metaphysics of Christianity. Yeah. From a, a purely non-theologian standpoint, I think of screen burn. You know the old uh, phenomenon where you'd have your your, tele- your computer screen, you leave some text up there too long, and it gets burned into the screen. Oh, right. Like the yeah. reason why we have screensavers. Yeah, that it's uh, essentially. Your screensaver is not up on your your faith, and so you're so into thinking about uh, Christ and uh, and uh, the iconography of Christ and uh, and His holiness, and and then it ends up uh, manifesting in your hands mm-hmm. and your body. Mm-hmm. Or a more elaborate uh, version that came to mind is that it's uh, like a pre-Christ world is uh, is like a game that comes out. Okay, uh, it comes out a little too early. A lot of work went into creating this video game, but uh, there are some problems. So God says, all right, I've got to apply a patch to this thing. So he releases the patch. But the patch, as we all know, you apply a big patch to a game, it just creates more bugs. Yeah, little bugs. And yeah. so maybe the stigmata is uh, is kind of a, a bug uh, in the game post-patch uh, that is just uh, sort of an accident. Right. It's difficult because within the, the, the actual, I want to call it lore as if we're like referring to some kind of supernatural vampire story here, <laughs> but like within the text of the Bible, there's only one mention of stigmata. And even that is fairly vague. I believe it's in Galatians. Uh, and it, it's in reference to the apostle Paul, but it's not entirely known if he's actually talking about stigmata, the way that he refers to it as uh, manifesting on his body is the marks of Christ. Indeed, indeed. And just to put that in the uh, in the context of the timeline here, uh, Paul would have lived uh, uh, 5 CE to 67 CE. Right. And the exact quote, I'm sorry I didn't have it earlier, was, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, does by marks, does he mean literally the wounds through the hands and feet and side, or mm-hmm. does he mean something else? A big tattoo, maybe. Maybe a tattoo, maybe it's metaphorical. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that later. But I believe that it's best if we start off with what you refer to as patient zero with, with St. Francis, who's really like the case uh, that, that that has the most, um, not evidence, because, uh, you know, it happened, what, 800, 900 years ago. <laughs> Uh, but but there's a lot of documentation about it and and um, discussion about the wounds. Yeah, he lived close to 800 years ago, and he's uh, he's definitely the the trendsetter. This is the the, the patient zero for stigmata. Um, and uh, you know, modern historians continue to sort through early biographies to make sense of the the terms used in the accounts uh, given, uh, and in some cases, make an argument for uh, the stigmata's roots in a natural world illness rather than supernatural miracle, which we'll, we'll get into. But, uh, yeah, Francis today is known as the patron saint of animals and the environment, uh, the father of the Franciscan order. Uh, he was born in 1181, uh, died in 1226. And the key event in his life, uh, for the purposes of discussing stigmata, is that uh, uh, late in his life, he's on the slopes of Italy's Mount Laverna, and he's visited by this fiery vision of a crucified Christ, uh, flames twisting into the form of seraph wings. And according to the lore, uh, this is such an intense mystical experience that it inflicts the wounds of the crucifixion right onto Francis's hands and feet. Yeah. Whereas depicted in uh, some of the paintings that we were looking at, yeah. laser beams from a fiery That's what angel. it looks like in, the, in these images, yeah. Uh, and, and what's interesting about this is that there is some documentation that says that there was someone with Fran- Francis when this happened. And, uh, I, I believe the understanding was that they didn't see this, mm-hmm. uh, this angelic manifestation, 
manifestation in the way that uh, Francis described to them, but that they did see him, you know, kind of fall in pain and all of a sudden have these wounds. Well, it makes sense that someone would be with him, right? Because mm-hmm. as we'll discuss, uh, Francis was he not was, a well man in his he late was life. fairly infirm, and by late life, I think he lived into his 40s, yeah. maybe? So, yeah. Yeah. Even for the time, was yeah. not, not he, he was only a little bit older than us. Yeah, so if he was to say, hey, I'm going to go out into the wilderness and uh, pray a little bit, they would have said, well, Hold on. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's send somebody places. with you. <laughs> yeah. So Francis is uh, kind of interesting. It, before he became, you know, the, the major figure of the Franciscan order, because he was, you know, he came from, I don't know about like wealth, but he was what we would probably refer to as middle class today. Uh, and left that to go to war. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in w- one war, was a prisoner of war, and uh, it was described, I, I think it's accurate to say that he was fairly traumatized by that experience. Yeah, that was the, the gist I got from uh, the sources we're looking at. Uh, and then he came back, had some epiphanies about life, you know, at, as would be expected after an experience like that, mm-hmm. was sent to war again, and it was on his way to the second war that he had a vision, correct? Yeah, and this is where accounts get kind of complicated because in the, some accounts seem to indicate that he just either felt unwell or he suffered dreams about uh, becoming unwell. Mm. Depends on who you ask. But at any rate, he definitely had a change of heart uh and maybe there was a there was a, an ailment uh, angle to that as well. There could be, yeah, because he again, like he suffered illness even from a, a fairly young age in life. Uh, and but basically, the vision was that he shouldn't go to war; mm-hmm. uh, that he should go back, devote his life to the teachings of Christ, and and basically modeling on the life of Christ. Uh, and there was a point where he went to Rome, uh, and he, what he took to doing was. Uh, begging with the poor around Rome and becoming, uh, becoming a pauper, becoming homeless, essentially, and understanding life from the streets. Yeah, and in 1206, which is just, uh, you know, in the, in the years immediately following his, uh, his vision, initial vision, uh, in which he gave up war, uh, he begins working with lepers, which, and, and I mean, working in close confines with yeah. them, living with them, eating with them, kissing them, etc. Yeah, um, I'd like to stop there for a second. <laughs> Tired of boring lunches? Picture this. You're at Chipotle ordering the same old burrito bowl. But wait, there's more excitement in store than just guac. Introducing Drop, the ultimate rewards app. Just link your card, dine at your favorite restaurants, and you'll earn points to get free gift cards from tons of brands. It's like getting paid to eat. Hungry for savings? Download the Drop app now and use code DROP44 to kickstart your rewards journey with $5 in points. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing. And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. Oracle.com slash strategic. 
Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. So, okay. uh, I have a personal experience. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I went on a trip to Kathmandu in Nepal. Oh, okay. And it was, uh, it was, there was like a tour service, I mm-hmm. believe. It wasn't fancy or anything, but there was a guide who took us around Kathmandu and we did various activities. And at the time, this was in the early 90s. Uh, there were plenty of lepers around Kathmandu, and it was my first experience, even with hearing the term, much less seeing it in in real life. Mm-hmm. It is a horrible affliction, and it, it, it's um, extremely sad. But the idea that he was, as you described, in such close contact with these lepers of Rome and other other towns around Italy, mainly. Uh, it just it just goes to show you you know what kind of a man he was how dedicated he was to to the the teachings of the church yeah i mean especially when you, th- when you think about how um complicated the idea of physical ailment was at the time because it's all yeah. tied up with ideas about uh, moral failing and sin as well so yeah. so there's the idea that not only is he working with the disease he's working with people that are perhaps spiritually impure um but uh, again it's very much in keeping with this uh, this this new um purpose in his life, right? Yeah, he did not worry about being, I guess, tainted would be the word, Mm -hmm. physically or spiritually. So some other high points uh, from his life, 1213, 1214, he had to uh, abort a journey to Morocco, uh, he cut out in Spain due to, quote, prolonged illness, in which he lost his speech for three days, Uh, 1217, 
He suffered from uh, court and fever, uh, but accounts differ on whether this was an actual illness or a metaphorical fever, such as a temptation, uh, uh, you know, vision experience. Yeah, and so the the resource that um, we read from that that accounts on this actually breaks down. You know, t- nowadays when we refer to court and fever, mm-hmm. it's it's synonymous with malaria, uh-huh. I believe, uh, but. What they were saying was that in the Middle Ages, you know, obviously medicine wasn't where it is now, and that there were different types of quote unquote fevers, basically, that they applied to dozens of diseases. Yeah. I think, I think they listed it as like 77 different types of fever were possible at the time. But there were four categories of them, and the way that they categorized them was how often you had the fever. Mm-hmm. So if you had it daily, it was quotidian. If you had it uh, every other day, it was tertian. And if you had it every third day, it was quartan. <laughs> and the fourth one was continuous. You just had it all the time. All right. And then, of course, you could just be saying, I had a fever. And they go, oh, well, yeah. it's sort of a mystical experience. Exactly, yeah. So it's really hard to tell what they meant by this, but mm-hmm. we're fairly certain it wasn't malaria that they were referring to, that they meant then around 1220, he begins to experience constant eye pain, constant tears flowing out of his eyes. Which gets back to that, uh, your reference to uh, stigmatics who bleed from the eyes. Yeah, yeah indeed. And uh, 1224, that is the year that he suffers the stigmata at Alverna. And after this, it's it's important to note, it's not just a, a matter of these... Um, uh, these these wounds or sores manifesting on his hands and feet. He's experiencing pain all over his body at, the, at this point. He's, uh, he has yeah. oozing wounds or sores. He becomes unable to walk. Right. So I, this is something that I wanted to point out, too, is the being unable to walk thing could be a symptom of one of the many other illnesses that mm-hmm. he was exposed to. Or let's... Let's say the stigmata happened and his feet were pierced through as if they had been pierced by nails. I imagine wa- walking would be difficult for any stigmatic. Yes, I would think so. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wondering why that isn't a, a more common symptom that we hear about. As we, you know, later talk about other stigmatics in history. Yeah. It seems like they would all be confined to a wheelchair or crutches or something. <laughs> The year after that, 1225, he receives treatment for his eye pains. And, and when we say treatment, we're talking about the cauterization of veins from ears to eyebrows uh, due to the constant accumulation of fluid. And this was a standard medical procedure of the day. Uh, but he also he felt no pain when he uh, allegedly when mm-hmm. this was administered to him. Mm-hmm. Jeez. And so by 1226, he's almost completely blind. He has a wasted body. His skin is darkened. He's vomiting blood, uh, suspected liver and spleen ailments, uh, headaches. And that same year, he dies at age 44. Uh, after a life spent traveling, often far in travel, in poverty, working with the sick, including those with leprosy. So in summary, Francis was a guy who uh, lived in poverty on purpose, so mm-hmm. subsequently probably had poor nutritional practices, uh, he had a history of exposure to many diseases, especially leprosy, and uh, he was debilitated by these diseases through probably the last decade of his life. Yeah. So we have we have plenty of stuff to work with when trying to look for a purely biological explanation for why this guy would have experienced uh, what we would come to know as the stigmata. 
And a couple other facts about Francis I'd like to throw out there before we dive into the disease part. Francis, did you know this? He was the first person to create a nativity scene. Really? No, yeah. It, it, <laughs> apparently, he was the one who had the idea for that um, around Christmas time, you know, replicating the nativity. Uh, and it was only two years after he died that he became a saint. He was pronounced a saint oh, by, wow. the, by the Pope. Yeah. It's fast turnaround. You don't it, get that today. Right. I would say it, that that's, I don't know, uh, Pope John Paul, what, it was pretty quick for him, but even still, I don't, I don't think it was within two years. Yeah. I mean, it's also, I think, important to note about Francis that most of the sources we were looking at, uh, there was no indication that he made any personal claims to having yeah. suffered, uh, or experienced, uh, some sort of a supernatural uh, Christ-like wound in his body. Yeah, that's what's really interesting about this, is a lot of the accounts and the research that, that uh, looks into the various evidence is that Francis himself was very reluctant to talk about the stigmata. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, you know, didn't want it to be I mean, publicized would be the wrong word because they didn't exactly have mass media then. But he didn't want it to be something that was spoken of. He was actually worried that if it was talked about, that his um, that he you know would be in trouble, that the grace of God that was bestowed upon him would be taken away from him. Um, so he tried to hide the wounds. And there's uh, references to him. Uh, being ill towards the end of his life, you know, laying in bed, uh, monks tending to him, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, one, uh, I think was like maybe washing him or, or, or reaching to, to, uh, move his torso and touched the wound in his side and he, you know, gasped out in pain, but he did not want this monk to say anything about it. It, it was not Francis's idea. I think if we were going to say Francis faked this whole thing so that he seemed like he was a saint, right? Yeah. It doesn't match up with the um, the stories of the man in other occasions that he did not seem like the kind of person with a quality of character that would make up a story like this because he didn't even want other people to know about it. Yeah, it wasn't until um, October 3rd, 1226 uh, that, that we know of. That was the first written account of St. Francis having experienced some sort of miraculous uh, wounds. Uh, and this uh, comes to us from uh, the writings of Brother Elias. He says, and he said, and now I announce to you a great joy, a new miracle. The world has never heard of such a miracle, except in the Son of God, who is Christ our Lord. A little while before his death, our brother and father appeared crucified, bearing in his body the five wounds, which are truly the stigmata of Christ. His hands and feet were as if punctured by nails, pierced on both sides, and had scars that were the black color of nails. His side appeared pierced by a lance, and often gave forth droplets of blood. And it it's important to note that line about uh, a new miracle, um, you know, an exceptional miracle, because it it drives home that this was this was a pretty powerful thing to claim about somebody. This was this was a potentially dangerous idea at the time. Absolutely, because uh, and in fact, there were you know other monks that doubted Francis's authenticity with this, and they, I believe, the way that they described it was that he was trying to be a quote new god. Yeah, uh, and that like there was the iconography surrounding this event and specifically stigmatics was questionable because it was drawing attention away from Christianity itself. Yeah, I mean cuz it cuz the initial reaction would be like are you trying to single white female our savior? <laughs> right. Like, what's going on? Um 
as uh, Arnold uh, I. Davidson points out in uh, his um, article, Miracles of Bodily Transformation, or How St. Francis Received the Stigmata, he said that Francis' stigmata was written of at the time, as, as we just saw, as a unique miracle, indeed a miracle greater than any other miracle. And even then, to counter doubts and denials in the day at yeah. that time, yeah. required nine papal bulls. Um, so we oh. had to have some, you know, some big... Uh, authoritative uh, statements, some big press releases yeah, come down yeah. uh, from uh, from the Pope's office saying, "No, this is the real thing. This is for real." Yeah, and from my reading, it sounds like um, the Pope's at the time of his life had met with him personally on several occasions too. Yeah, so they were well aware of this. It wasn't as if he was, just, you know, uh, someone who was rather low on the echelon of the Catholic hierarchy. Yeah, and various other uh, accounts in the time of Stigmata were were often just completely uh, thrown out just rejected as right. as uh, you know scandalous or even potentially heretical because the, the basic idea is you're presenting Francis not only as saintly but but almost as this new Christ yeah and we should say here too that uh it it's somewhat misleading to describe saint francis as the first stigmatic mm-hmm. because there were between uh Christ's death and between saint francis's life there were cases of quote unquote stigmata but we'll get into it later about whether that actually meant wounds as we come to understand them as being stigmatic or not uh it could mean many other things based on the literature at the time one one thing i wanted to talk about with saint francis is um the description of his stigmata by Thomas Solano in uh, this book that he wrote about St. Francis, The Life of St. Francis from 1228. Did, I, I think you referenced this as well in the yes. notes. The, the the way that he described the wounds in the hands was not just that they were holes like we would imagine from like a horror movie or something, mm-hmm. but that you could actually see the points of the nails protruding from the flesh. Huh. That uh, they were like, the nail points were pushing up through the flesh and black underneath as if, you know, there were like ghost nails there. Uh, and that, I mean, we think of stigmata today as being a kind of supernatural, scary type symbolism, you know, that you mm-hmm. would, you would see in a horror movie. Uh, but I can't imagine that, that, that seems so much scarier to me. You know, I'm surprised that some, uh, some horror director hasn't glommed onto the, that yet and pulled that into uh, content that they've produced because it's just the idea of these permanent nails just kind of just barely pushing up under your skin mm-hmm. is oh it's yeah. excruciating. Yeah, and it's important to note here as well that uh, some of the accounts vary on exactly what uh, mm-hmm. the, the wounds of St. Francis consisted of. Yeah, in the same way that the stigmatic traditions to follow, you'd see everything from you know slight blemishes. Um, and little sores counting stigmata to actual holes or the manifestation of nails. Right, yeah. Sometimes it's just like purple marks in the palms of your hands. All right. Well, you know, let's take a quick break. Okay. And when we come back, we will jump into some of the various uh, disease explanations for the stigmata experienced by St. Francis of Assisi. Ever tried to tackle a home improvement project without making 10 trips to Home Depot? What if I told you there's a way to earn cash back while you shop? Introducing Drop, the ultimate rewards app. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards by shopping in-store or online at Home Depot and tons of other stores. Download the Drop app today and use code DROP33 to get an instant $5 in points. That's Drop. 
your go-to for shopping rewards. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help Dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off, no dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. All right, we're back. So uh, we're going we're gonna to kick through some of the possible disease explanations here uh, for St. Francis real quick. Uh, we mentioned that he, he traveled into um, some of the swampy territory in Italy, had to turn back from going to uh, Morocco. So there's, there's one possibility that he suffered from malaria. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, to touch back upon what we talked about earlier, quartane fever and malaria sort of understood as different things at the time. Yes. But... It, it, still, he may have contracted malaria. Yeah, the uh, the late uh, historian Dr. Edward Frederick Hartung uh, made a strong case for uh, 
malignant malaria as being the uh, uh, the cause of these uh, these these bodily manifestation. Um, Though rarely encountered uh, with today's treatment, one complication of malignant malaria infection is uh, the purplish hemorrhage of blood through the skin, also known as purpura. Uh, and, and what's more, purpura usually distribute symmetrically, um, according to, uh, to Hartung, uh, on the hands and on the feet. So is it possible that uh, these supernatural wounds were mere hemorrhages caused by malaria? Yeah, and purpura, or is that how you pronounce it, I think? Purpura? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it are, are just one of many types of lesions that can form, uh, as a result of the, the various diseases we're gonna talk about today. And they're, they're the larger of the categories of lesions that can form on your body as a result. Now, it's worth pointing out that there are some problems with the, uh, with the malaria argument. According to, uh, Johann, uh, Schatzlein and Daniel P. Somasi, uh, it wasn't until the 17th century that physicians could distinguish between the, the fevers of malaria and other fevers. The true cause of malaria wasn't known until the 19th century. The word malaria didn't even exist until the 16th. Right. So we, we can't be for sure. And also, malaria doesn't affect the bones. And as we'll get into, uh, shortly, uh, there's some skeletal evidence that seems to, uh, point in the direction of a particular ailment. Right, that's somewhat important for as uh, evidence. Right. Forensic evidence in the case <laughs> of St. Francis. Um, other possibilities, one, some have argued tuberculosis, um, and it's certainly a statistical possibility, but the chances are slim since it didn't become a huge issue uh, until in Europe until the urbanization of the 16th through 19th centuries. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about the tuberculosis argument is that some sources you know, after his death, suggested that it's possible that he contracted tuberculosis from his mother hmm. uh, because his mother was from France. And <laughs> it was more common there. Okay. Tuberculosis was more common in France. Um, but most people criticize this as not being a legitimate claim. It's, uh, you know, that that's just like, well, yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> it's possible. But yeah. is it is it really likely, especially compared with some of the other candidates? Yeah. There's also speculation that he was anemic as well. But mm-hmm. again, this is all after his life. There's no evidence of either of these things in the actual uh written literature of the time of people who lived around St. Francis. Yeah, which is largely all we have to go on. Mm-hmm. So others have made cases for brucellosis, uh, hemophilia, herpes simplex, but uh, the really convincing one, the one we ended up uh, spending a lot more time on, is leprosy. Because again, he spent a lot of time with lepers, living with them, eating with them, coming into visual, physical contact with them. Yeah, and his, you know, uh, the ethos of his life was to basically live like them, you know, to mm-hmm. take on the same pains that they had taken on. So it, it, it seems to me that in, in his mind that contracting leprosy was, uh, was not, you know, a, a punishment per se. It, it was part of the life that he wanted to lead. Yeah. Caring for the ill and for the poor. And it, it, there was a lot of it at the time too. It was common in medieval Europe. Uh, it was common in 13th century Italy. And there were six leper houses in Assisi alone. Wow. You know, interesting uh, side note uh, about uh, leprosy uh, in uh, in Europe. Uh, leprosy in Europe declined significantly after the Black Plague of 1346 through 53. Right. And I believe the idea there is that because lepers were already uh, susceptible to illness and, and weak, mm-hmm. that they were, you know, largely killed off by the, the plague almost entirely. Right. So yeah. that there, there wasn't... Uh, 
a lot of opportunity to contract it otherwise. Yeah, and, uh, and, and there's also a case to be made that the, the process of segregating lepers actually decreased transmission, mm-hmm. uh, increases in dietary vitamin C, gave some degree of protection against it. And since leprosy and, t- and TB are both caused by different species of the same uh, uh, bacterium, right. uh, the rise of TB, as we discussed, that comes with urbanization, yeah. might have provided protection against leprosy due to cross-immunity. So you have Im- immune responses that are stimulated to fight one infection, uh, and they combat the other. And lepers often uh, con- uh, contracted TB, and those with TB seldom contracted leprosy, even in places where both were endemic. But to clarify... Francis lived almost a hundred years before yes. the Black Plague really kicked in. Right, so we we can't really factor Black Plague into that's that's why it doesn't really come up as one of the uh, the, the potential possibilities. But it, I think that that does help to underline how how complicated it begins to be when you start looking back at a disease yeah. uh, in history, because it of course doesn't exist in isolation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, this reminds me, there's an interesting factoid that you told me before we started recording that sort of places <laughs> St. Francis in history. You know, we're talking about where he is in relation to the Black Plague. Uh, talk about um, Genghis Khan. Oh, yeah, the the, uh, the year uh, St. Francis was born, 1182, Genghis Khan was 20 years old at the time. So, so that kind of gives you a little bit of a reference point. Yeah, but, yeah particularly if you're maybe more familiar with, with Asian history versus uh, European. Mm-hmm. All right, so the case for leprosy. Um, a lot of this comes from a um, paper by uh, Sh- uh, Schlatzen and Somassi, who I mentioned earlier, and I'll make sure to include a link to, uh, to, to that resource on the landing page of this episode at StuffToBlowYourMind.com in case you want to check it out. But they contend that what uh, could have been going on here was that it was uh, something known as tuberculoid leprosy. Uh, they, they, they contend that the medieval physicians only understood one form of leprosy, really, and that's the disfiguring lepromatis, of which we'll discuss. And they might have missed this more subtle tuberculoid kind of leprosy that uh, that he might have had. So as like a, a lay person not particularly understanding these diseases up close and personal, mm-hmm. other than my experience of seeing lepers when I was younger, I'm imagining that Let's say this was the case. Uh-huh. He had lesions on his hands and feet and maybe on his side. Mm-hmm. But he probably also had lesions across his whole body, right? Right, yeah. I, uh, that's that's the uh, the takeaway that I get, I get from this. Okay. So, I mean, in, uh, most people out there are probably thinking of leprosy as just like digits fall off, parts of your mm-hmm. face fall off, things like that. That's c- sort of the popular culture understanding of it. But these... These open wounds are popping up everywhere on the body, not just it, it wasn't necessarily. In, in fact, in some of the descriptions of St. Francis that we, we read for this, they, they described all of the wounds on his body and the oozing sores and the pain that he was constantly in. Yeah. Now, the, the Greeks and Romans, they had three different terms for leprosy. There was lepra, okay. which is scaly, non-leprous skin disease. Mm-hmm. Elephantitis, which was actually true leprosy, uh, and uh, as, as well as uh, filaresis, a uh, parasitic roundworm infection. And also uh, loose, a, a condition that might uh, link to turpuloid le- leprosy described in the work of, uh, of a second century Greek uh, Christian philosopher who is not actually widely read. In his own time and virtually unknown to 13th century Europe. So another case where yeah. there's one pocket of understanding about leprosy, but it's not even widely known at the time. Yeah. Um, 
and if, you know, to further complicate things, you had overlapping terminology and medical texts available uh, at the time. Uh, the, they lacked the medical knowledge to properly diagnose uh, anything other than the classic, just facially disfiguring uh, leprosy mm-hmm. uh, that, that we've uh, discussed here. So, okay, so like I said, I'm sort of a layperson when it comes to this. What, let's get, go back to you mentioned bacteria as being part of leprosy. So, what actually causes it? It's a mycobacterium, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, we should get down to brass tacks on that. Leprosy is caused by the bacteria uh, Microbacterium leprae, and it's uh, highly infectious, easily transmitted, but only a small percentage of individuals actually develop clinically significant disease. The incubation period is between 5 and 20 years, and the nutritional status of the infected plays a big role in whether it actually progresses. And one of the things we know about St. Francis was that he was purposefully mm-hmm. limiting his nutrition as uh, part of his life of poverty. Yeah, he's living poor. He's uh, he's also, you know, going out in the wilderness, um, mm-hmm. you know, which often involves fasting. Yeah. So something to keep him. Oh, mind. yeah, yeah. All the fasting that he did as well. That's true. I hadn't thought about that part. Yeah. He definitely wasn't like taking a multi-complex vitamin. <laughs> no, definitely not. So, so yeah, diet affects the progress and uh, progress is key. In uh, lepromatous leprosy, again, the really disfiguring one, the immune system is just completely overwhelmed. The full range of disfiguring and debilitating symptoms are possible. Nodules, mutilating lesions on the face, also peripheral nerve infections. And this is the, the you know, the one that, uh, yeah. the physicians of the day would have been most that's, familiar with. That's what, I mean, I didn't get up close and personal, but that was what I witnessed when yeah. I spent time in Nepal. Yeah, this is the, the, just the, the wretched worst leprosy infection you mm. could get. But in tuberculoid leprosy, the body's immune system effectively staves off the greater infection by keeping the infestation isolated to the nerves. So you have flat, uh, slightly discolored patches on the skin okay. uh, with a decreased sensation. Uh, again, we you know, mentioned earlier how he supposedly did not feel the pain of uh, his uh, his eye treatment. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. This is like, a, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, this is like, a, what do they call it, grayscale? Yeah, yeah, kind Game of, of yeah. Thrones. Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel wonder like if that's where George R. R. Martin got the idea for that from. I bet either from there or no, it, it would have. Yeah, the timeline doesn't support it. But there was an episode of uh, Look Around You where they covered the case of Cobbles. Oh, I've not heard of this. No. Oh, it um, fabulous uh, British comedy series with okay. kind of a science vibe to it. Uh huh. They had an individual whose skin was turning into rocks. Oh, cobbles, okay. And okay. you see him, and he's basically a pile of rocks sitting on a soundstage. <laughs> talking about. Okay. Um, but anyway. The so, pop culture <laughs> ways we deal with these horrific ailments that have yeah. that destroyed mankind. Ugh. Ugh. So, yeah, tuberculoid leprosy, the infected nervous system um, is doing what it can to fight it off, to, to keep it isolated. Uh, but it can result also in uh, neurotic pain, decreased sensitivity in the toes and fingers. And between these two types, there's borderline leprosy, which, you know, kind of a little bit of both, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we mentioned those, ail- those eye ailments. Uh, it also affects the eyes. 96% of leprosy cases uh, involve some sort of eye issues, infection of the cranial nerves. Uh, they can cease blinking, producing, in- uh, producing insensitivity to damage. Well, and not being able to blink would definitely explain why he was constantly tearing up. Exactly. Also, direct infection of the eyes uh, due to you know damage from fingers, uh, yeah. uh, uh, damage to the tear ducts, excessive tearing, pus formation. 
and again, uh, loss of finger digits uh, because because uh, again, it's, a, it's 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 affecting the the nervous system and uh, and causing a decreased sensitivity to the toes and fingers, which uh, in a, in the case of someone with leprosy can result yeah. in, uh, in an easier uh, injury of those digits. So let's uh, hone in on that for a minute. As we referenced earlier, there's evidence. Uh, that Francis himself was missing digits. And we know this because, what was it, in the early 1800s, they, uh, I'm not sure if they exhumed his corpse or not, but they examined his corpse and were able to find that he was missing uh, several digits. Is that correct? Yeah, based on descriptions and, and later some actual photographs of St. Francis's skeletal remains, there's possible evidence of leprosy in some of the, the missing finger bones. So okay. Eight of ten metacarpals, those are the, the closest to the palm, okay, if you look down at your hand now, yeah. are present. And only 16 of 28 phalangeal bones, those are the two outer bones of each finger, mm-hmm. only 16 out of 28 are present on the body. So so help me to understand this for a second here. If, uh, again, like let's go with the deific uh, interpretation here mm-hmm. for a moment. If... Uh, Wounds had manifested in his palms and feet as if nails had been driven through them. Or even, let's say, for the sake of argument, that he self-mutilated and he hammered nails through his hands and feet himself. Wouldn't there be evidence of that as well in the the bones that they found? Potentially, yeah. I mean, uh, it it just comes down to how it would have been uh, administered. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, there was uh, from what I was reading, there's no evidence of that from uh, from looking at the uh, the bones. There's also nothing nothing to suggest that they were taken as relics or lost because that's probably yeah. in some people's minds. Well, this is a holy dude. Someone probably right. Somebody's wearing a, a necklace of the, the the pinky of Saint Francis. And then finally, from the body, there also appears to be an enlargement of nutrient uh, foramina, uh, openings in bones for nourishing blood vessels that could be possible evidence of leprosy having ravaged oh, his body. Okay. Yeah. So if we review these diseases that we spoke about, about possibilities, we talked about malaria, mm-hmm. we talked about tuberculosis, and leprosy. Leprosy, there's a strong case to be made. There seems to be a lot of evidence pointing that way, both in the literature and in actually looking at his body, that he had contracted leprosy from the many years of working with the sick. He was probably a leper himself, it it sounds like, for almost a decade, maybe Mm -hmm. longer, uh, because he had been ill even before uh, in some cases, there's there's accounts of his illness before he even you know took a vow of poverty. Um, maybe you know who knows. Maybe that's why what led him to taking a vow of poverty was that he was he was uh, sick. So, but at the end of the day, it, it really seems like leprosy is the most logical explanation. I think so. But I mean, based on what what we looked at, like that's the one that seems that there's the, the most evidence for. It matches up with his timeline the best. The physical evidence, what little we have, seems to seems to support it. Yeah, uh, and you know, and again, fasting, poor diet, nutrition, it it would have uh, made him even more susceptible to it. And he was he was not a well man for most of his life anyway. Now, this isn't to discount that this was a pretty saintly dude, as I would put it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it it sounds like from all accounts that he was the real deal. He was genuinely very. Uh, a generous man mm-hmm. uh, and who did live his life by the teachings that he followed. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the 
deific intervention was a result of what we think of as his stigmata today. Yeah. And, you know, you look back on it and, uh, I mean, on one level, you can sort of look at the, 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 the stigmata, the holy stigmata that, the, the tradition that follows is kind of a, a PR campaign. Right. Because, you know, at the time, leprosy was seen as a, as a disease of the soul. It's not mm-hmm. the kind of thing a holy man would have. So to deal with this juxtaposition, you have to come up with a mystical interpretation of what's happening. Why? Because right. it comes down to like, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. Why? Why does something this horrible happen to somebody who's doing such good work in the world? Yeah. And you say, well, maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's exactly. An honor. <laughs> yeah. He's carrying mm-hmm. the the the. He's carrying the marks of Christ, who was also you know wounded in service to mankind. Yeah, that could be definitely the way that it was interpreted, especially because all of the research that I saw, there was never a mention by any of the other clergy that Francis was a leper. There was just mention of his various illnesses and the symptoms that he had for, you know, many years. Right. And, you know, you know, naturally, we can never know for certain about any of this. Um but you know, when you look at this this uh, the supernatural explanation, when you look at the leprosy explanation, there you could argue that they're kind of shades of uh, the same thing, because uh, presumably, this uh, you know the creator god in this scenario would have uh, sent the seraph who sent the seraph would have also created the protozoans responsible for the malaria mm-hmm. or the or the uh, or the you know the the bacteria that cause the, the leprosy. And, uh, you know, and, and Francis seems to suggest as much himself. Again, he, he never directly talked about his, uh, you know, any mystical wounds, as we already mentioned. Right. He didn't flaunt it. Right. But uh, but but here's just a little something that he said uh, uh, in, his, in uh, The Little Flowers of St. Francis. He says, My dear son, be patient, because the weaknesses of the body are given to us in this world by God for the salvation of the soul. So they are of great merit when they are born patiently. Mm. So, I mean, ultimately, you have a dude that suffers from leprosy working with lepers uh, in the name of God. And, you know, if, if that's if that's the actual explanation, if that's actually what happened instead of some uh, supernatural explanation, it, it seems to me to be perfectly in keeping with that uh, with the values of that faith. Now we've taken a look at patient zero. This is the most, I don't know, popular isn't the right word I would use, but well-known <laughs> uh, example of stigmata in history. And we've discussed two possibilities for it, disease or deific intervention. Uh, In the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about two other possibilities. There's psychosomatic possibilities, and then there's also the possibility of self-mutilation. Right. So we'll, uh, we'll get into the psychology and the science of those topics in the next episode. In the meantime, be sure to check out StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find... All of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, links out to those social media accounts, as well as a landing page for this episode, which will include links to related content, some outside, re- outside resources of note, uh, and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a cool image or two. And again, if you want to get in touch with us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr, and you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Tired of routine Walgreens trips? Get rewarded for shopping with Drop. With Drop, you can earn free gift cards on groceries, gas, and more. Download Drop now and use code DROP55 to get $5 in points. Join Drop today.
You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.